Thank you, Reverend Richard. We shall now pray for our world. So let's bow down our heads in prayer. Everlasting Prince of Peace, we come to you again in prayers. Father, Lord God, we just commit our world to you. Thank you for the wisdom and knowledge granted to our scientists to be able to come up with the vaccination. Father, Lord, we just want to pray your blessings that as many people as continue to receive this vaccination, that the side effects will continue to be minimal and will not be resulting in any loss of life. We pray for our EU brothers who are still struggling to get the vaccination around. that, Lord, you will help them to be able to devise a strategy so that the vaccination can go around as quickly as possible. We pray for countries where the pandemic, COVID-19 virus, is still very, very active and destroying lives. Lord, we pray that you will help the leaders and even the populace to be able to watch and do the needful, necessary to contain the virus. Lord, we pray for Myanmar. We have things are not easy at the moment. We pray your peace there. And Lord God, we come back home and we remember our frontline workers, the NHS staff, the nurses, the doctors, the pharmacists. We remember the train drivers, the bus drivers, the teachers, the police and all those who are working hard just to make sure that things go right and that we are protected and those who are taking care of those who are sick, we pray that you will shield them. You will strengthen them. You will uphold them. Father, we pray that you will de help them to deal with their own mental health too. We pray for our students who are preparing for exams 
In fact, this week, some will start the examination. We pray for understanding. We pray that they will not panic. We pray that you will, not, you will help them even as they prepare for these tests. We pray for your peace even in their preparation. Almighty God, we remember those who have been bereaved, those who have lost their loved ones. And as we saw the queen yesterday, sitting alone, we can feel the loneliness. And there are so many like that. Father Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit to always be with them. The vacuum left, O oh Lord, we ask that your loving grace, your mercy shall fill it up. We pray for those who are waiting for test results in the hospital. We pray for your peace. We have so many on our list who need your touch of healing. Your word says you send forth your word and you heal, it, you heal them of their diseases and infirmities. Father, we send forth your word this morning that you will heal them. You will touch them. Almighty God, we also remember all those who are recuperating or recovering from one surgery or from one thing or the other. Strengthen them, O oh Lord. And we pray for our pastor, Pastor Ian, Pastor Vicky, Pastor John, Sister Anna, and the leadership team of Romford Baptist Church. Father, continue to grant them wisdom. Continue to uphold them, Lord. Continue to strengthen them. May they not feel tired. May they not feel weary. We pray for our partners, Winter Gardens. We pray for Church 123 and all the missionaries, both home and abroad. May they mount up with wings as eagles according to your word. May they run and never be tired. May they walk and never be weary. For that, Lord, we also remember those who have been struggling as a result of the effect of COVID-19. They are struggling with their mental health. 
We pray that you will touch them, Lord, too. You will be with them. And we pray for our church family. We are all seated as one. But our requests are so diverse. But Lord, you can see each mind. You can see each heart. We pray that you will touch everyone at the point of their needs. We hold on to your word. Which says I have been young now. I have been old now. I have been young now I am old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seen back for bread. We hold on to your word that we will not be forsaken and we will not be forgotten. As Pastor Richard comes to deliver your word, we pray that, Lord, it will deliver, it will heal, it will save, it will touch lives to the glory of your name. We pray for our government. Father, let thy will be done in every decision they take. We thank you, everlasting Father, because we know that the Spirit also prays also pray for us. And we therefore we thank you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. I shall now invite Pauline as she comes to read Revelations 22, 1 to 5. Um, the river of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flying from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light, no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Thank you.
as we prepare to hear God's words, we shall sing the song, He has risen, Jesus is alive. So there's an inherent danger about preaching about gardens, and that is uh, the completely hypocritical point that I am a useless gardener. Uh, Alison and I, I can say this because I know my wonderful mother will be watching her own church service this morning and not her son, so she gave us a plant recently to encourage us as parents for all the homeschooling stuff, and um, well, it's dead, it's completely dead, we threw it out yesterday, she only gave it to us a month ago, I don't know what it was, we watered it, we didn't water it, we put it in sunlight, we took it out of sunlight, but just whatever we did, this plant, and I say we, I mean more Alison, I just felt that... Um, she would be better at not killing it than I would be, but it turns out that um, we were both wrong and um, the plant's dead. Uh, and that's not an unusual story in our family life. Uh, so, so the challenge of talking about gardens is for some of you, gardens will be very precious and important. For others of you, you will have astroturfed your back lawn and that will be um, how you feel about gardens. Uh, my children now think I'm really sad um, they thought that for a long time, but this year I started buying like lawn fertilizer and I banned them from going on the lawn in March because I wanted to try and get the grass. I I'm just as good at the grass as I am with flowers, by the way, so the grass isn't looking much better. But the fact that I went down um, B&Q and bought a bag of lawn fertilizer and dutifully sprinkled this everywhere, um, my children think I've well and truly reached middle-aged. And some people are nodding, going, yes, Rich, that's the right way to treat a lawn right now. Well, you are older than me or middle-aged as well. And some people look at me going, that's really sad, Rich. And that means you're younger than me, and that's okay uh, as well. Gardens appear throughout Scripture at great regularity um, for obvious reasons. Firstly, Cities on the scale that we experience are a modern phenomena. More than half the world's population now live in massive built-up cities. Of course, in Jesus' day and throughout the history of the Bible, um, a big city would have been two, 3,000 people. And so the natural world uh, was very much a partner of life with people through Scripture. They relied on it. They were a lot better at looking after it than I was, or am. They depended on it. Life was very fragile, depending on the state of your harvest, how your crop was. We don't really experience that. We had one week of panic buying toilet rolls, and we're still all working our way through the toilet rolls that we filled the cupboard with, didn't we? But for people in ancient times, if your crop failed... There was no government handouts. There was poverty. There was starvation. There was significant death. And yes, in this pandemic, we have experienced significant death. And we give thanks that it is only a once-in-a-generation act rather than every three or four years as the ancient world would have experienced. And so as we come to gardens this morning, and Ian set the, the, the theme for this, and it quite excited me, and then I read these passages and thought, Lord, how on earth am I going to link these together? But I think there's some common threads through this that can encourage us, excite us, and challenge us. And so as we start to look at these gardens, I'd like to invite you to reflect on a time when your inexperience led to a bit of an issue. 
when your youthful arrogance or unwillingness to understand your own limitations, wisdom and knowledge, well, quite frankly, led you to put your foot in it with either your actions or your words. Just for a moment, dwell on that time when you think, ooh, I could have done that a bit better. What about that time you really wanted to support a friend? I mean, you really did. You could see their need. You could see their pain. All the time you really wanted to change a habit. You wanted to read the Bible more. You wanted to keep fit. You wanted to get 10,000 steps a day. But you just couldn't find the willingness to do it. All those New Year's resolutions left in the dust, unsucceeded. You really wanted to. You were willing. But just the reality and the practicalities just meant it never happened. What about that time when your plans were interrupted, maybe by God or life or family or friends, but you were so fixated on your plan, your to-do list, that you missed out on what was happening, on the good that was happening? Anybody here a list writer? I'm a list writer. I've always got lists to do. First thing on my list to do is write a new list of things to do because it's not quite up to date. And I struggle being interrupted. I've struggled in lockdown sharing my home with my children because I'd be having my head on a task and they'd be like, Dad, the printer's broken. And I'd be like, but I'm doing something right now. And I'd miss out on that opportunity of an interaction with my child. So let's think about these gardens that we've heard from Scripture this morning as I encourage you to keep thinking on those stories about yourself. It's spring at the moment, isn't it? And it's beautiful out. The blossom, the cherry blossom particularly, is absolutely stunning this year. Absolutely gorgeous. And so it's the right time of year to be thinking about gardens as we um, enjoy the flowers coming up, leaves returning to trees. Gardens give us great joy, but gardens aren't quick fixes. When we moved into the manse in Harold Hill, there was a part of the, the, the garden. The garden there is huge. It's, it's a great family home, and, but it had been unkept for a long time. The, the brambles and weeds were this high, and I naively thought, I'm going to turn that into a vegetable patch. thought, oh, a couple of days, we'll, we'll turn that bad boy around. Look at that, there's loads of weeds, but it'd be dead easy to do that. And three or four years later, still struggling with the same weeds that kept coming out, still putting our compost on it, still trying to make it work. And I would be willing every year for about the first three or four weeks of the planting season, I'd be dead keen and make sure everything was watered. And then I'd, I might forget a day or I'd think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. And so the garden never quite fulfilled it. But gardens aren't quick fixes. We live in an age of quick fixes, don't we? But looking after and tending a garden requires a lifelong commitment. And the gardens in the Bible are not all the same gardens, and they're not all the same experience, but the gardener is always the same. So we have that story Ellie read to us so beautifully, the Garden of Eden. Naive enjoyment. God puts people in that beautiful place. Eden meaning delight. It is a delight to be there. But for the first people in that creation narrative, it wasn't enough. 
Have you ever had moments of that? Oh, this is lovely. You know, you've been out for a nice meal. Oh, it's lovely. But all oh, the table four down were a little bit too noisy for us. Or you've got your ideal home, but it isn't just quite right. Or maybe you've been on the dating apps and you see someone that's like, but they've got two earrings rather than one or whatever. You know, you know it's just it's not quite enough. Church is good, but oh, I wish we'd done that hymn instead today. How many verses did the first song have, by the way? That's my fault. I picked it. Didn't realise it was the longest song in history. Sorry about that. And that's what happens in the creation narrative in Eden. People dwell with man. It is delightful, but their naivety, youthful exuberance, whatever you want to call it, says, we don't quite have enough. I just wonder, is the grass a bit greener if we eat that apple? If we get involved in that? Just ambitious without knowing sums up a generation at the moment, I think. And it leads to a whole heap of mess. For some of us this morning, we'll recognise that our attitudes at work, in relationship, in family, in retirement may be a bit like that. Oh, I didn't think retirement was going to be quite like this. I really wanted to be sailing on a yacht around the Bahamas or whatever. I wish it was just, I wish I could just, this is good, but could I just have? I'm not quite grateful for what's here. Or wrong-sizing ourselves, which I think is at the core of the, the full story, is that people want to be the same size as God and not realising they are created rather than creator. And don't we constantly make that mistake now? I want to be that big. I mean, bless them. This is a dangerous comment. But the EastEnders-type episode of Royal Family Saga that we see at the moment is a prime example of what happens in lots of families, by the way, just without the prince and princessy bit. The arguments, the I deserve... I need to have and played out yesterday among such pain and grief as well. And then we move to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' friends have just enjoyed a cracking meal with Jesus, but he said some pretty weird stuff that's unnerved them. This talk that he might not always be there, but this is the Passover meal, Jesus. This is the meal where we celebrate God's redeeming action to save his people from Egypt. And then Jesus takes them out to pray on a hillside. And just like every January the 1st, they had every intention of praying with him, but they fell asleep. I am the power nap king in our family. Most families have a power nap king, don't they? It is me. Particularly during a children's film. Oh, my word. I mean, when the cinemas were open, I basically paid to go and have a nap. If I went to watch a film with the kids, I'd wake up with 15 minutes left and ask them to catch me up. And I'd be like, oh, that's quite good, that film. They'd be like, Dad, you didn't see it. You fell asleep. I know, but I really wanted to watch it. But the disciples had had a big meal, dare I say a bit of wine. You know what that's like in the evening. And now Jesus wants to go and do the serious business of praying outside in the garden, a beautiful garden, with the sound of nighttime creation happening during lockdown i've started a new habit nighttime walks 
bit weird, I know, but you know, you've got to take your exercise as and when. And myself and Caleb, our eldest, or um, with a couple of friends, we've just gone and found places that we normally walk during the daytime. We've just taken a strong torch. We've just gone and walked at night. And often we've just turned the torch off and just gone by moonlight. Nighttime is amazing. So much activity, so much alive. It's a brilliant experience. I'd encourage you, if you're able to do it, to give it a go before it gets too late in the evening. It's a wonderful experience. And Jesus does the same with his disciples. He takes them to a dark place for him to pray dark prayers in the middle of a beautiful garden. And the disciples fail their friend. I failed my friends during lockdown. I've seen their need, but I've just been exhausted myself. I haven't quite got around to making that phone call to relatives who I know are alone. The image of the Queen yesterday was very moving and poignant, wasn't it? It made me think of my own grandparents in their own old age before they died and thinking about the lack of human contact they had and how we're not very good at giving that generation the time that they deserve and need. I thought the Queen was a very good, um, almost parable for, for us as a younger generation about how we look after the elder generation. And then we have the Garden of Resurrection. I didn't get that read this morning because it's Easter or the Easter time. We've heard that reading a lot. But I love it in John as Mary hears from the disciples that Jesus isn't in the tomb. Mary's got a to-do list. The to-do list is to anoint Jesus' body in grief. What an awesome task that must have been for any family member to go through that privilege of anointing a dead relative's body. But she, that was her to-do list that morning, that Easter morning, and there was no body. She didn't quite know where is he, where is he, and she turns to someone, and it's very intentional that John says who she thought was the gardener. Because he's always the gardener. He's always there tending our wastelands, our souls, our needs. Where have you put him? And he's like, Mary, it's me. And the challenge in this garden is that sometimes our to-do lists and our humanness means that we just miss out a little bit on what Jesus is doing. We could be asking the very question, Jesus, where are you? And he could be going in the situation, hey, I'm here. I'm the gardener, I'm tending you. I have spiritual direction with a retired circuit court judge who's also a retired Anglican priest, a phenomenal human being and really quite an imposing character. Gentle, but like I'm a bit in awe of him. And I see him about every six weeks. And my children say to me, Dad, what's spiritual direction? I'm like, that's a good question, kids. What is, I suppose... I suppose he's the gardener of my soul. I go and share my story of my last six weeks and he helps me pull the weeds out. So my kids will talk of this lovely man, Alan. Is Alan going to pull your weeds out today, Dad? So yeah, I'm going to go and see. And he'll laugh. He laughs at me. Not nastily, but just like, oh yeah, you're, you're learning. <laughs> so gentle and kind, but he helps weed the garden of my soul he plays Jesus in that hour for me. But Jesus is always there in the garden with us. And then the last reading we have from Revelation. We now have the garden in the middle of a city. It's funny. I don't know. We could spend the whole 
session on this, philosophising about it, but as the world travels towards people living in cities more than living in urban, Revelation finishes not with a garden, a large garden in the middle of a, a rural setting, it finishes with a garden in the middle of a city. Only this is the city of God. But in that city, there is a tree, and it bears fruit, and it yields fruit, and the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. In the city of God, there is a garden, and that garden is for our healing. And the challenge for us, as we reflect on each of these gardens, the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Resurrection, and the Garden of the City of God, is to note that Jesus is with us in each of those. That Jesus offers hope, healing, and resurrection in each of those. The Garden of Eden, people fall, God says, where are you? Where are you? I want to be restored. The Garden of Gethsemane, soldiers come, ears are cut off, Jesus brings healing and restoration even in the moments of his arrest. In the resurrection garden where we're not quite sure what is going on, Jesus reveals himself and is mistaken, quite intentionally I think, as a gardener. And in the eternity, the kingdom that we have to look forward to with Christ, there is a garden with a tree that offers us healing. And so as we look at these very four different gardens, and we look at the human experience of each of them, arrogance, I wonder what's over that side, the human stumbling of I would really like to try and do that, but I just can't quite make it happen, the to-do list of human beings to try and get on with the job at hand without seeing the work and action of Christ, and the final garden that we will enjoy forever, which is for our healing, where every nation will be gathered, and we will fully understand the resurrection. I hope that as we've travelled through these gardens, we can see that in the human mess, in God's creation, sorry, human mess in God's creation almost seems inevitable. In those first three stories, God interacts with people and it isn't perfect. And so this morning I want to say to you, it's okay if it's not perfect right now. Especially coming through this pandemic. I recognise each of those early three garden experiences I have journeyed through during this pandemic. There are times in my youthful exuberance I've gone, right, we're going to do this, 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 because there's a pandemic on and it's caused a mess. There are times when I've been willing, wanting to do something and I've just run out of energy. And there are times I've been going like, Lord, where are you in this? And he's going, uh, I'm right here. And I don't fully understand all that, but I take comfort from the fact that that is how this book outlines humans' experience with God. Why should I expect it to be any different? And that if I feel in a wasteland, as we heard in those Isaiah verses, that God is brilliant at taking wastelands and turning them into gardens. Not like I did with my vegetable patch. But in a true sense, turning the wasteland of where you feel right now into something beautiful. 
into something glorious. God is always the gardener, always restoring, always healing. God is always planting. The act of creation isn't finished. That blows my mind. It was good. It is good and he will keep on renewing it and planting it and planting life and hope and love. Do you know what? It doesn't matter if we don't get this. It doesn't matter if you're a bit like Adam and Eve, a bit like the disciples, a bit like Mary in the garden. God's still going to do his thing. I take great comfort in that. Because that I am a bit like them. But God is faithful and keeps doing his thing. God is always offering to take the wastelands of our lives and to plant and heal and to restore and bring life. This is the resurrection gospel. This is the gospel of the great gardener. Inviting you to bring whichever part of your life right now feels like a wasteland. To bring those weeds to Christ and to say, here I am, Lord. Tend my soul. Tend my soul. Tend the garden of this creation that you have made. For every time I read that you encounter people in gardens, there is hope, there is restoration, there is forgiveness. And I want that today in my garden, in my life. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are in awe of your creation. The beautiful blossom the incredible well-nurtured grass, the flowers that we see budding, and us, Lord. We are part of your creation. You put us in the garden of delight. And you love us like you love that blossom and the, the fresh green on trees. You love us like you love that, Lord. And even more so, for you died and rose again for us. And so, Lord, as we enjoy this springtime, may we enjoy more you tending the garden of our souls. And where it is painful and feels like a wasteland, Holy Spirit, come and bring your healing, your challenge, and your nurturing. And where our minds are running off with arrogance and, oh, I wonder what it's like over there, come and help us see the goodness that we have and be thankful for it, Jesus. And where we have grand ideas, but we just can't find the willingness to make it happen, help us see what you're working on. Ultimately, Jesus, we ask you to come and tend the garden of our souls, the garden of our lives, that you love, that you created, and that you bring resurrection, hope, and life to. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our final worship song, Thine Be the Glory. Well, thank you for joining us for worship this morning. I'm very grateful to Jiddy for leading the service, to Ellie, to Damalola, and to Pauline for doing the reading and for the sound and audiovisual people who have made it possible for those here and at home to enjoy uh, the worship and for that all to run smoothly this morning. So thank you for those who have taken part. Let us pray, close our service with a blessing. May, God, may the God of creation, of the garden, of the flower, and of the wasteland, lead us out this week 
to be nurtured by him and to nurture those who we have contact with. This week, may we help others see what Jesus offers them and how he desires to be the gardener of their souls. In Jesus' name, amen.